Hello, hello, and welcome to The Ruck. As ever, we're not short on issues to discuss. We had a richly entertaining weekend in the Premiership, but all played out under a cloud of uncertainty over the rest of this season. Europe is supposed to return this weekend, but the French government are threatening to block their clubs from participating. What does that mean for the rest of this season? What does it mean for the Six Nations? And where are we with the Lions? We'll also follow up the revelation in this month's Rugby World magazine that the WWE are turning to Rugby Union in their quest to find the next Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin. What can rugby learn from WWE where entertainment is the number one priority? Joining me to debate it all are three of our own heavyweight champions. Owen Slott is the reigning Rugby Writer of the Year and joining him in a formidable three-way tag team are former holders of that venerable belt, Stephen Jones from the Sunday Times and Alan Dimmock, features editor of Rugby World magazine. How are we, gents? Very good. You haven't said who you are, though. Have I? Oh, I'm Alex Lowe, but uh, I don't count as one of those former holders of that title. Of course you do. Of course you do. I'm the Vince McMahon, I guess. All right, okay. Managing the whole thing. Alex, I wondered who you were. Alex, have you are you one of the people on on World Wrestling's list for for people to uh, to talent transfer in, into the wrestling game? I no, I'm not. No, Al, are you? Are you? Well, I, I saw Alex uh, tweeting a lot last night about uh, American football and the the coverage there. So I think that he's got his eye on a different kind of sport, possibly. Jones, you you be a wrestling target, but they know that you're um you're, you're more into your. Uh, into your hunting on Boxing Day sort of events, aren't you, on midnight? Yeah, you, you can't have too much massive interest like that. I have got some spare time on my hands because midnight has pulled a fetlock, so he's actually out at the moment, so he didn't go this week. But um, I, I like W. Do you know what? Years ago, I was in South Africa, and this bloke Hulk Hogan came on. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I just thought it was the most amazing thing I'd, amazing thing I'd ever seen, That's, which is why I tried to get into it. About 15 years ago, but they just they wouldn't have me in the end. But um, it is an, it's amazing, it's amazing. So midnight's pulled a fetlock. Anyway, that's the news, and he's uh, he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. That is a shame, James. Yeah. I wonder what your wrestling nickname might have been. Has, Steve? Have what would your what would your name have been? Stone Cold Steve Jones. <laughs> or somebody's thought of that, I think. Well, you'd have probably gone there first. You'd have had to come up with a new one, wouldn't you, Steve? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so, yeah, so we will talk about that and the role that, that's, you know, entertainment plays in in that. Is it a sport, Al? I don't know if it's actually a sport. Or entertainment, I believe, is the official designation. Or entertainment. But we weren't, we weren't short of, of entertainment in, in genuine sport in the Premiership this weekend. Oh, and you were at Harlequins on... Sunday, there was a, a riot of points in Bath on Friday night and, and a couple of, of belting games on, on Saturday. Um, what did you make of it, Owen? Yeah, I thought it was a, it was a cracking weekend. I've still got the second half of, of the Bath-Wasp game to go because uh, I, I got outvoted and, and the, the family decided on Friday night that we were watching the first episode of The Serpent. So I don't, rec- I don't recommend that at all because that's quite scary and rugby's scary enough at the moment anyway, but that's far worse. That was good. I, I actually have sort of been thinking about, did I enjoy that more than the... Um, the extra Bristol game on the, on the Saturday, which was um, a different kind of encounter altogether, just a, a real hard sort of a kind of high quality, um, extraordinarily intense game, which I, Jonesy, you absolutely loved that game, didn't you, from your match report? Yes, I did. Not only was it, was it as ferocious as anything you've ever seen, I thought there was some gorgeous splashes of skill in it as well. 
so I thought that was brilliant. Fr- Friday evening, you know, when you see a mess of tries like that, you think, oh, God, that was a bit loose. Friday evening in, at Bath, Bath and Was was just sensational. The, the, the level of skill. All right, the defence wasn't that good, but it wasn't that the defence wasn't that good. It was the fact that no one wanted to bother with defence. It was just an extraordinary game, full of skill. And I was just about to say, oh, this is a load of rubbish. But it wasn't. It was marvellous. And then, as you say, Slotty, that game between Bristol and Exeter, or Exeter Bristol, was of the highest standards in terms of intensity. And you know what? The funny thing was on Friday, Eddie Jones is sitting there watching this magnificent feast. The man who said you can only play rugby by hoofing it up in the air. How ridiculous did Eddie look on Friday night? Steve, I just wondered, uh, just to go back to the Exeter-Bristol game, do you think that's the best performance by some locks since the Siege of Carthage? Yes, it was. It was. Which locks in particular? Well, we're talking about the, the Bristol Bears locks. I know that you're a big fan of Atwoods, but hell yeah. of a shift from them. I've always been a great fan of Atwood. Never quite work out why he doesn't get many more England caps. When he went to when he went over to France to play, they loved him over there. He's just an absolute beast, keeps on coming. And uh, he was so good, I felt compelled to text him on Saturday night to say, well done, big man, I thought he, thought he was excellent. And the other guy was, was, was brilliant as well. I thought the Newcastle-Gloucester game, different position, but two similarly kind of relentlessly impressive performances, Mark Wilson and Gary Graham in the Newcastle back row were just outstanding. I mean, Mark Wilson, we know of his of his engine, his work rate, but it, he, you know, it did feel like he was everywhere. And and if he wasn't getting you, then then Gary Graham was just a real, you know, a real dominant double act in in the back row for for Newcastle. Yeah, that that Falcons game. I, I spoke to a contact at Falcons uh, over the weekend after that result, just to see what the mood of the group was about why everything was going right. And there was a real sense that. Well, one of the things they said is that it's taken a few years to get here, but everyone is really gelling. And there's a sense, you know, when they came up, a lot of people might have been concerned about the Falcons that could they cope with this level. But actually, sometimes too much we want immediacy. We want teams to crack it straight away. And the Falcons have obviously been up and down, but they've kept a core together and there are some really strong characters in there. Okay, Mark Wilson went away for a season and came back again. But you mentioned him and guys like Gary Graham, who's seriously putting his hand up at the moment for Scotland selection. But there are unsung heroes in throughout that team. And one of the big things that has got everyone buzzing is the performance of that pack. I know Steve uh, mentioned at the weekend that there's potentially, as the season drags on, we'll be, need to forensically examine the play of their backs a lot more. But at the moment, that pack is really purring. And for all the the good club men that make up. It's a power of synergy, really, for Newcastle at the moment, isn't it? It, it? It's great to see them going where they are. There was a time when, during that game, where I thought Gloucester, they, Gloucester came creeping back. And there was a time when they played, the, 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 the Falcons fell off a bit. But the, the last 15 minutes, when the game was in the balance, they were absolutely definitive. And it is hard to believe that even Bristol could have played as well as they did in the last 15 minutes. Also, not only the pack, but they got some individuals there as well. I just think it was uh, not their best. But uh, when you can beat Gloucester not playing at your best, you've done really well. And there they are, what, second or third? God bless them. I just think it's a great effort. And I think they've signed well. I mean, Matthias Orlando, I thought it last week and, and didn't say it on the pod, but watching him again, he, he's been 
superb for them in, in midfield. And it, there are there are clubs who there, there are Argentina players available um, after the the Haguares, um sort of folded, and Newcastle have picked off two or three, and and they all look like really smart signings to kind of add to that core that Al was talking sure. about. Yeah, I'm just disappointed. I mean, obviously not disappointed. It was fantastically entertaining to see Radwan going from postcode to postcode to score a, a long-range try, but Orlando scored a try, and I'm disappointed that that wasn't the pick of the bunch because we could have gone with the headline Orlando Magic. Oh, <laughs> no. What about the, the extra Bristol game? Other than the than the engine room, Harry Randall again caught the eye. There's an England squad about to be named. There's a, a Wales squad about to be named for the Six Nations, assuming it happens. He... He's eligible for both. Um, should he be in, in one or the other? Well, I was just going to say, from what we know about Eddie Jones's uh, policy regarding uh, number nines, he's got absolutely zero chance of getting into the uh, England squad because um, every time that uh, Eddie spots a, 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 sees a world-class uh, English number nine, he says, absolutely no way. No, I'm not having anywhere near my side. I'm going to stick with, uh, I'm going to stick with some, some good old, old heads who like to kick the ball up in the air and have got no s- solo flair at all. So I think Harry Rand has got no chance at all. He should sign for Wales tomorrow. Are you saying that he's just playing too well for, for Eddie? Owen? Well, I've, yeah, okay. I'm being a bit perverse, but um. But the you know the, the the best nines in the country are uh, uh, at the moment are Harry Randall, um, Ben Spencer who can't get anywhere near the England squad, and and Darren Robson who Eddie seems to to have in his squad because he's got to pick a second nine, but he gives about three minutes of playing time per game and clearly doesn't trust. I mean it's just so perverse. It's perverse and also it, I mean Eddie's created this. Uh, arena where I think it's almost um, if you do play well in the Premiership game, you're less likely to be in the England team, which is absolutely preposterous. I mean, if you if you play well in the County Championship, and score hundreds after hundreds, there's a decent chance you might be a good Test cricketer. At least you, you deserve the chance. And with with the greatest respect, some of the people he's he's got in the squad and in terms of number nine is just pathetic. And uh, Harry Randall's got a very very difficult choice. Ch- to make, I don't know whether you'll go with heart and or, or head or, or, or whatever. I mean, Wales have got a big a sort of galaxy of players um, that they're going round as well. So it's not not easy for Harry Randall, but my goodness, you know, he can do it on his terms. He's playing out of his skin. To extend your analogy, Steve, as well, it's not like you're just scoring hundreds in county cricket. It's it's like you also score hundred against the touring Australians, absolutely, because um, that game was as Pat Lamb built it pre-match and and as it turned out it was it was you know you're talking close to test level it was it was of the highest order that game absolutely and the thing about the 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 bears at the moment as well is that they're not shying away from talk of test call-ups when they first came up and when pat lamb first came in part of their manifesto was we want to have england internationals because we want to be one of the premier teams in england and so they are pushing and pushing and pushing for this and they don't mind talking about it you know i saw a lot of his teammates uh, coming out and talking about how good he is. There's even a bit of a murmur from teammates about Tess call-ups. I saw Max Laheef calling him the rat man, and it's kind of like, not the mouse that roared, but the rat that roared with <laughs> um, with Randall, the form that he's in at the moment. I suppose w- where it is, is, is we possibly have to take a step back because you don't want to heap too much pressure on this guy, and he's got a major, major decision to make. As Steve says, Wales don't know who their Premier 9 is at the moment either because we've come through test windows where they have rotated a large number of 9s and are yet to decide which one is their favourite. Throwing Randall in the mix isn't going to 
make that any easier. We know Eddie Jones' proclivity for keeping hold of some nines that he already is well aware of the limits of their capabilities. But it's an exciting prospect ahead. I suppose it's just pump the brakes a little bit because he doesn't need to be England's star man straight away. And if you, as a Scotsman, and you had to pick between England and Wales, which who would you be playing for? I, I don't want to sit on the fence on this one. I want to burn that fence down and run away because <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's one I don't want to wade in on. But it's, I suppose if you're Bristol, you just want to support their player. They've, As Steve mentioned, they've got players like Jan Lloyd and, and Shidi. And Shidi obviously had a difficult choice to make himself. He opted for Wales. So it looks like Bristol will support them. Whatever, whichever way he wants to go. Uh, if if you're Randall, I I don't know enough about the young the young fella to know which which way his heart would lie. But it's certainly an exciting time for him. I've, is that as good a non answer as I can give you? <laughs> <laughs> if you're him, do you want to make a decision based on who the current coach is, knowing that that coach won't be there for the whole time? That's a good point. For for for, for Randall to shine with England, you'd think Eddie Jones would have to give him. Uh, the license to play how he plays now, to 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 tap and go to to to, to see when it's on and go for it, which just isn't the way that, that England play. And I wonder whether that comes into his thinking. Does he have to be patient? If he decides he wants to play for England, does he have to be patient and realise that the next England coach might have a different view to this England coach in, in the way that they want the the nines to play? And um, it's a career decision, not necessarily one for for the next year or two. And and he is just one of those, as Owen mentioned, who's joining this long backlog of 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 exciting scrum halves in England who who are just sort of sitting there waiting for for the opportunity and, and not really being given one at the moment. He's a very, very young guy. Do you think he might actually at the moment say, look, I, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to establish myself at Bristol. We're trying to re- win the league. Eddie's there and he's got his favourites. Wales have got a number of number nines. Does he really, really have to make a decision now? Or w- would he be respected if he said, lads, do me a favour, I'm learning from Bristol. Can you, can you come back to me in a year? Because if he has to make a decision now, he's going he's gonna to make the call and may, may not even get in the team. And then he's made the decision. If I was him, I'd tend to shy away from it for a year. Honestly, I really would. I Unless someone says, really- we're going to pick you and you're in this th- next week. It's easy to say now, I'm going to just wait, sit back and wait. But if Wales come in or, or if England come in to, to then to knock that back for a year, that that's quite that, that's a must be a very difficult thing to do, I would have thought. But yeah, it's, he's he's definitely a player who's who's illuminating the Premiership at the moment. Do you think he has in his in his head where his allegiance lies? I was sure. I mean, he must have thought about it for ages. He he, he must know where he'd rather go, and I I reckon he's just waiting for the right uh, right invitation. I'd have thought yeah. so, but I, I I imagine Tompkins was the same that he thought. He'd know where he'd want to go, and then when circumstances become what they are, and Wales end up coming in for him, he goes play for them. Johnny Williams the same. I suspect he, in his heart he probably knows who he wants to play for, but maybe the circumstances, the practicalities and realities of, of, of a certain situation might might end up making him go the other way. Yeah, Al, were you in the same situation? Were you like holding out for an England call-up, but just eventually it never came, so you went for Scotland under twenties instead? Well, you know, I am England qualified, and I don't believe that Scotland. Uh, I don't believe that at the time that playing at the Scotland age group tied me. So technically, I'm still available if Eddie wants to pick me. I, I do remember going on tour um, to New Zealand with England in 2014, and there was, and they took a huge number of props, and their injuries were all over. And I thought maybe if I put my hand up here. 
Lancaster <laughs> might give Lancaster might give me a go in the midweek game against the Crusaders. Alas, you'd already shown Graham Ramchie what you could do in his scrum garden at Pennyhill Park, hadn't you? Yeah, I think uh, Wig still wakes up in a cold sweat thinking about that. <laughs> One other line on the Premiership is Sale beat Worcester, and it, it sounds like Alex Anderson might be heading there from from Saracens to become their new director of rugby. It's I guess the latest coach to have come through that that Saracen system. Um, Andy Farrell, Paul Gustard, and Alex Anderson. If if that is confirmed, as we suspect later, to be the, the new director of rugby at Sale, do we think it's a it's a job that he's ready for? He, it, it, it would strike strike me that he has all the all the qualities and uh, to go and make a success of it. Definitely. I think Alex is a, a, a absolute tower of strength. De- I mean, he, he, came from, he came from there, obviously. They really rated him as a player. Uh, he had so many injury problems. They all, they all reckoned that, uh, they used to say that Alex was a better player than Pat, which is not to demean Pat at all. I think he's definitely ready for it. I think it's a, a, a good decision by Sale because... You know, they've got a couple of rugby league guys there who've done their best, but you you need someone in charge there. I think it is a savage blow for Saracens because uh, we we all know that Mark McCall is very uh, reserved in public, um, not given to great pronouncements. And I think that the foil to him was, was, was Alex. Uh, was that was the noisy man on the touchline, the man who would always be prepared to assess players for you uh, to the media and all that. And I, I think now Saracens have to find a voluble sort of noise machine to take the place of Alex Anderson. Otherwise, they will be unbalanced with their coaching team. So it's, I think it's a really great move by Sale. And I think that Saracens have a hole, which I'm sure they'll fill, but they do need someone of Alex's character and uh, noise levels and outgoing personality. It's not like he's taking over a weak team that's struggling. You know, a lot of time vacancies occur because someone's been sacked or, or moved on. But in, in, in this occasion, because of results, in this occasion, he's taking over a team that was in the, well, could easily have been in the top four last season had it not been for that, that COVID outbreak. Feels like a good fit for me. Do we actually know if... Sanderson was ever offered a uh, a job by Eddie, or or was it just a case that there was a bit of history there and 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 they they never quite fancied it? That was always the talk. I'm not aware of any formal offer coming in from England to Alex Sanderson, but they obviously knew each other from Saracens and they worked together at Queensland Reds for that season, which wasn't very successful for Queensland Reds. And he's always seemed so settled at, at Saracens. And this seems like, yeah, I just think it's, it's it's the right move for him at the moment. But but I can see him being an international coach in, at some level in the same way as as Andy Farrell and, and Gusta. They've got the same kind of outlook on the game, I think. He's an impressive guy. You're listening to The Ruck. Enjoy more rugby insight and analysis throughout the season with The Times and The Sunday Times. Get a subscription today and get one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash The Ruck for more details. We've tried to bring these sort of dark times, tried to bring some joy. And we see we, we had some joy and, and some thrills watching watching rugby over the weekend. But it's kind of hard to divorce the fun that we had with the, the sort of the darkness that, that looms and the, and the problems that face the game. We're expecting today, being Monday, the French government to confirm that, that their clubs shouldn't play in Europe for the next two rounds. That was an issue that 
I'm pretty sure began when Bayon linked an outbreak there with their home game against Leicester in the Challenge Cup. Bayon then pulled out of the Challenge Cup and the French government, we think, are close to confirming that the French clubs can't play in Europe. So now they're, they're in, in emergency stations in, in at EPCR. What do they do for the rest of the season? What does it mean for for the Six Nations? Slotty, have you got any... I think you wrote about it in, in today's paper. What, what's the latest from your understanding? My guess is, is that they won't make a, a definitive decision on the Six Nations and that they'll find a way of getting that to go ahead. But that the next two rounds of, of uh, Europe will not be allowed to go ahead at which point there's a very clear and sensible thing to do, which is to shift two rounds of the Premiership into that two-week window. So I think that's probably where we'll be by the end of, should be there by the end of Tuesday, I'd say. And the, the Six Nations, the people I was talking to at the end of last week were saying that France don't travel to the UK, or that, so they don't play a UK team until round three, and they don't travel to the UK until beyond that. I think they've got Italy and Ireland up first. And so they they feel there's time on their on their side to try and make this decision, and yeah, it sounds like they'll play the tournament, and then I guess if they have to re, reschedule a match or two, then there is at least precedent for that from last year. I think that is all incredibly shaky, Alex. It's not as if uh, all right, France are not playing in, in in the UK for the first couple of rounds, but I mean the way that the the, the COVID is is getting his horrible tentacles in, there's no telling whatsoever, no guarantees things will be okay by then. And what frightens me above everything is that the person who's give, giving all the calls here is not the, the French equivalent of Chris Whitty, it's Bernard Laporte, the, 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 the phantom of the opera, the self-centred four-eyed fool who's got no more intelligence in terms of the COVID as I have of, of, of bloody rocket science. And suddenly he is saying, don't worry, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it, we'll make the decision, everything will be all right. Well, what's it got to do with him? So why on earth Laporte is now the man who's reassuring us? I don't know. And as usual with him, you know there's something behind it that eventually will come out. I don't. I think they ought to put the Six nation, Nations back. As Slotty says, how marvellous to bring the, 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 if we have to, to bring the to bring the, the premiership forward so that, the, good God, the, the clubs can actually see the people who they pay a, 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 a couple more times. But for Laporte to go on about COVID and the English uh, strain of the disease is shocking. He can shut it. Well, for, for those that haven't seen it, Steve isn't wrong, by the way. He's been very unequivocal. In the, in the political time we live in, you should always be wary of people over-promising and under-delivering. But just looking at the quotes from Bernard Laporte at the moment, the very first words out of his mouth are, don't be alarmed about the Six Nations. And then further in the, the, the stuff that's been reported in RMC Sport over in France last night, this is a quote from Bernie. There's no question about if we'll play the Six Nations. It worked in the autumn. For now, there's no worry about the Six Nations. So he's, uh, we think he doth protest too much. If eventually we're in totally uncomfortable position, we can envisage what football did where everyone is together. So I assume he's talking about bubbles and the sort. But today, there is no question about that. The Six Nations will be played. So he is absolutely hammering that point. And for anything else, forget what you know about Bernard Laporte. I'm with Steve. I'm always worried when people in positions of power say that they're certain about something. 
Yeah, but you also have to say when he's when when he says it worked in the autumn, you have to make a gentle reminder that the, the France ended up playing their third team in the final because they couldn't organise for their first team to be available. So it didn't work in the autumn. Yeah, no, you're right. Terribly but, sorry. Oh, oh. Also, Alex, um, I, I was reading the thing in, in Midol, Mid-Olympic last week that says um, that France, for instance, for a home game, their, their gate receipts from catering, corporate and the ticketing, that is just from one game alone, nothing to do with TV, is the equivalent of 8.5 million per game. Now, what I don't understand is, why would you not postpone if you're turning your back on 8.5 million a game? Because if there's no fans, that, that goes down the drain. And that's what makes me suspicious that there's some big thing we don't know about going on here. You would have thought that for the sake of the fans, the TV and the team and the gate receipts, you would put it back to when you think you'd be able to get your fans in. The the thing about this as well is that the, the women's game is being used as a chess piece at the moment. So they made this decision to to move the, the women's Six Nations into April, which I think we'd all uh, we'd all agree that m- moving sounds like one of the, the sounds like the safest option that we've got at the moment. Obviously, a lot of people will be hoping that we we already know that there's real pressure on Europe. We'll get a decision on that. Another French thing that I wanted to point out on, and it's from the uh, the main sponsor from the French national team is uh, Moad Altrad, who owns Montpellier. Now, if we're looking at what's happened with the, the European Cup, it's an interesting one to note that Montpellier were, were suffering badly in the league when they pushed for real change to the uh, the Champions Cup format this season. Lo and behold, two rounds later, they've realised that they're having an absolute shocker. And who's one of the teams that is calling for everything to be postponed with the loudest voice? Montpellier, who are also having a hell of a season in the top 14. They're second bottom at the moment. And it's interesting just to see the machinations of very, very rich and powerful men in France realising that they have to reap what they sow. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering, so this time last year, not quite this time last year, but not far off. We were saying, and in fact, the RFU was saying, and so many people in rugby politics were saying that the COVID situation was going to force 2020 to be rugby's 1995 part two. And none of them did anything about it. So no, nothing changed because it, because they couldn't reach any agreements on, on all the, the complicated systems and calendars that they'd all put in place. They couldn't unravel it. And so we're now into 2021. It could not be more obvious a time for them to just sit down and go, right, well, it's too much risk playing the Six Nations. It's too much risk having the Lions tour in, in front of it, uh, no fans, which won't happen. It's, there's still a risk that if they play it here, it's played in front of no fans. And that's quite apart from the, the argument, the strong argument that it should never come to be a home team. So sit down and and make all these decisions in alignment. So, you know, you can move the Six Nations, you can move the Lions, you can re- rearrange Europe. And, and now is the time, almost even more so than last year, because there was a make, do and mend sort of situation last year. Now we're at a point where established competitions are going to be disfigured or or cancelled because you can't fit them in. That They have to sit down. I think Steve made the point on the pod last week. Now's the time to to make 2021 1995 all over again because yeah. because we cannot the game cannot carry on like this. Otherwise, we're going to have all these conversations forevermore because nobody will actually grab the the issue and and sit down and and, and thrash out a proper solution for the good of everybody. This isn't for the good of the suits in the in the boardrooms to to 
feather their own nets. This is our game. This is the people's game. And it's being messed about constantly by um, executives who, who are too sort of self-centered to actually see the bigger picture. When, well when, well when, when, you, when you play the game, one of the things that people talk about is indecision is a killer. No matter what you do, pick a decision and back it. And the problem is right now is that no one wants to be the bad guy. It's kind of like the government refusing to cancel Christmas because no one wants to be remembered as the bad guy. But as you've all said there, someone needs to make a tough decision at some point. Because you could be, if you're seen as the bad guy in the short term for trying to create something, in the long term, you've built something new that works and you stop the constant undermining of the reputation of the sport with, with all these in, all this infighting that goes on and on and on and on. It, it might need some difficult decisions to be made in the, in the immediate term. But now, where you've got alliance tour that, that can't happen as it should do and Europe and Six Nations and all those things, just strikes me that now is the time when when they have to do it, that there's no TV deal for, for this autumn coming up, all those things. When this horrible, when they do get tabs on, on COVID-19, guys, we want to, the game needs to come surging out and say, right, we, we, you know, we get rid of all our frustrations. Here's the plan. We come surging out of lockdown. If when lockdown's over and gradually goes, they're still arguing about a structured season and all that, they ought to be shot. This is the time when it should be done, as Alex says. We'll discover over the next few hours and days about Europe. There's a whole bunch of issues there. If, if, if they can't play in the next two rounds, they have to move the Premiership forward, I agree. But then how do you fit in the rest of the matches? Do you just hand the French teams a 28-0 defeat because they can't fulfil the fixture because of COVID? I think that would fall under the regulations and it would allow them to, to complete, the, uh, complete the tournament without having to to delay and re- reschedule the rest of the season. French teams wouldn't probably wouldn't like that very much. But then ironically, if they did that, you'd have two weeks at the, at the back end of the premiership season that would give the Lions a bit more prep time were there to be were there to be a Lions tour. So sure. we have to wait and see. I think that will move quite quickly this week. Away from the kind of the, the downbeat politics and uh, we, we started trying to talk about upbeat matters and entertainment and some great rugby we saw. This month's edition of of Rugby World magazine has a is it an eight-page feature out on the world wrestling entertainment, the WWE targeting rugby union players um, as potential recruits to become professional wrestlers. As a, a former rugby league player who's already on the books, and I think the issue that's particularly relevant is is the idea of uh, of a sport making the most of its characters that is all about entertainment and engaging its viewers. And as Al mentioned at the top, I saw the NFL playoffs on Sunday night. One of the games was being shown also on Nickelodeon in the USA. And the, the whole production of it was geared around engaging kids. They had slime in the end zone. And, and even the winning coach, uh, uh, the, the New Orleans uh, Saints head coach, fulfilled his promise and got gunked with slime at the end of it, live on, on television for Nickelodeon. Is that what Eddie should be doing after England Internationals? <laughs> I think it would be. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't see uh, Dean Richards getting gunked after a game, but but it's just it's just ideas. I'm not saying it would necessarily work. I think it'd be a great idea to to explore. But it's it's that it's that concept of sport and entertainment. And Al, what did you find in in, in your piece? Basically, the reason that we wanted to, I wanted to look into this was uh, every so often the last couple of years, you know, there are a number of rugby recruitment sites out there, and every so often you'd see some popping up on social media saying. If anyone between the ages of 24 and 28 is interested in switching over to from rugby to wrestling, get in touch. And you'd see professional players and former professional players talking about it for a day or so. Isn't this interesting? And every time it came up, I wondered, 
is this legitimate? And how has anyone actually gone to the WWE to talk about this? So I went up to them and they they said, yep, this is absolutely something we want to talk talk about. This is a, an avenue that we want to explore. We want to make rugby professional rugby players fully aware that this is an avenue open to them. If they've fallen out of love with the game, if their contract's up, if they're recovering from injury, if they're a lifelong fan, might not be the mega superstars because if we're being 100% honest, fans in America do not know if you've got 40 caps for, for Ireland or Wales. It's, it's a big old country and they've got their own interests. But they're interested in the idea of uh, attracting athletes over and then the real the real job begins. So it was interesting delving into the world of, firstly, what helps you from rugby, the the professionalism, the athleticism, the the, the sense of teamwork, which is a thing that people might not realise is a big part of this travelling circus, but also where the holes are and where the real hard work has to go in. And a lot of it was to camera, to camera work, being a salesman, making someone want to believe in your storyline. And yes, they are storylines. And then the other element of it, which I believe you'll want to talk on, is what other sports can learn from wrestling. So whether or not you think it is a legitimate sport, and believe you me, they see themselves as a legitimate sport. They see themselves as a legitimate sporting interest, at least. So they talk about being the second most uh, viewed sport in India, for example, and taking on a huge market. Now, if you say something like that, sports like rugby union should be paying attention. This is big business. These are people that know how to sell on television. These are big people who know how to win over young fans. Is there anything we can learn from them? And there are all sorts of interesting avenues because certainly when I approach this, one of the biggest issues I have with rugby is hammering this rhetoric of it's all one big family and everyone loves each other and we'll go for pints after the game, which is fantastic. And that is an element that exists, but it's not the be all and end all. And wrestling as an interest does not shy away from the idea of conflict. And actually other sports have learned from this. So I brought when I was speaking to one of the legends of wrestling, uh, Triple H, uh, Paul Levesque, I, I mentioned to him that everyone shies away from conflict. But you look at something like Formula One, where they have a series on Netflix called Drive to Survive, where one of the biggest selling points for Formula One in that is the rivalry between drivers, the animosity between drivers, uh, even sometimes the frictions between teammates and the frictions between uh, team directors and drivers. And there was a big thing. And he, he sort of laughed and he said, actually, we've been in a room with the people from Formula One when they've been picking our brains on that. So people have been proactive in trying to learn from wrestling and their use of characters. For the piece, I spoke to Alex Corbusiero and he said, if you take an East Midlands derby that already has a history, all you need to do is turn the dial up just a little bit and you can sell that much more easily than you know, embrace the sort of the vibrancy of the rivalry and the animosity between them. Sure, people will know that sometimes it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. I don't think there are many people that watch wrestling and think that it's 100% real and that the storyline's 100% accurate. But it's a license to hand yourself over to something and just embrace it. And as you mentioned uh, with the NFL, there are other sports out there that are willing to explore new avenues to promote their sport. Surely Rugby Union's got to be one of those that's looking to learn. I think that's really interesting, and I, and um, and I think that the, the subject touches on one of the issues or problems that rugby faces is that it seems to have it running through its DNA more than ever. The fact that it can't promote itself in this way, the fact that rugby rugby teams and 
uh, rugby clubs and rugby teams are, are all about the unit and, and the team and not about the individual. So they seem incredibly scared to promote an individual, to make an individual bigger than the game or bigger than the club. It doesn't have to be, an individual doesn't have to be bigger than the game or bigger than the club, but they could be promoted. And and I think rugby's um, inherent conservatism is being, um, is really costing it at the moment. The, the marketing of rugby players is so poor. And, and for the reasons that you say, Al, the, re- the way that they're taking out personalities and making stories of them, they're all things that rugby is getting wef- left way, way, way behind on. For the piece, we spoke, spoke to Jamal Ford-Robinson, who's an interesting guy, obviously the tight head prop for Gloucester. And as a 19-year-old, he dabbled in, in wrestling. There's, he has a video on his own YouTube channel of him uh, wrestling. Uh, I believe he powerbombed some poor young fella. And he was interested to talk to you because he's a bit of a character anyway himself. Uh, he has his own Twitch stream. He likes his gaming. He likes to he likes to play about a bit with Twitter and stuff like that. And speaking to him, it was interesting because he says one of the things that drives him up the wall is sort of the, the COD statement after a loss that seems to be the same for every single player of, oh, you know, thanks for all the support. We'll keep trying hard. See you again next week. Hashtag whatever. And he says that everything's so staid at the moment because people are terrified to open themselves up because uh, in the piece we talk about tall poppy syndrome where people rise too much above the team they, they're liable to be chopped down but then you look at other sports like the nba which is completely driven almost in terms of marketing by the personalities and the star power that they have and and you're right owen it's are we willing to accept now as a sport that like others, perhaps much more like soccer, where the sport itself does all the driving. These guys are stars, regardless of what they say. Let's not have them say anything too controversial. Is that really the stage where we want to be at with rugby? Because they just don't have the appeal that soccer or football have at the moment anyway. So something needs to be done to bridge that gap. I totally agree with everything you've said, all of you, especially about individuals. The teams like Will Carling's team were far bigger in the public eye far more popular in the country, like Carling, Guscott, you know, uh, Wade Dooley, Paul Ackford, Dean Richards, Brian Moore. These guys were known throughout the country. They were, they were celebrated. They were, they were popular. And a current England team is nowhere remotely of that standard. And that's because, as you guys say, the marketing of rugby is hopeless. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear Al, uh, Big Al talking about the NFL and Jamal Ford-Robinson. That's where we got to go. It's just so, it's almost like a no-brainer. I tell you, what, one story from, from uh, the Eddie Jones England, it must be 2016 because it involves Jack Clifford. Jack Clifford was one of the um, the first players that Eddie spotted and thought he, he could be he could be one of my guys. Jack Clifford does a an interview in a newspaper. I don't know what newspaper it is. In a team meeting, Eddie has a cutting of the paper and he and he holds it up to the to to his squad and he says, "This is an example of what we do not want to do. This is a guy talking in a newspaper about himself. It shouldn't be about yourself. It should be about the team." Now that is five years ago now, and that's been the culture ever since. Yeah. Rubbish. That is rubbish. I, I was trying to think of of which which rugby players would would be decent and making the step across to the the wrestling ring, and I couldn't get beyond Curry and Underhill as the Kamikaze Kids tag team duo. But in, inevitably, you're looking at the uh, I don't know a Maro Watoji who's as athletic as you can get. Um, Carl Sinclair. Carl, <laughs> Carl Sinclair. Just to go back to the the, the sales uh, pitch thing because. Uh, a lot of people in rugby have been talking about what can be learned from the NFL's decision to put a match on Nickelodeon at the weekend. And I was thinking about this earlier. 
we already have the Six Nations tied up with BBC and ITV. They already have CBBC and CITV. Now we've seen CBBC are willing to do stuff like have Tom Hardy a couple of actor Tom Hardy a couple of times read bedtime stories. You know, CBBC are willing to explore new avenues with big personalities. Is it out with the realms of the sport to go to someone like CBBC or CITV and say, can we get your kids presenters involved? Can we get some of your puppets involved? Can we get something involved or have some graphics with some of your characters so that we can explain their way through a game of rugby union so that this younger generation who might not know what they're into yet for the rest of their lives, can we get some sport in front of them before it's too late and they're gobbled up by computer games? Is there a possibility we can marry them with each other and stop hiding away and hoping that the inherent hashtag values of rugby union are what wins people over and try and explore some new avenues. You know, is that out with the realms of possibility with the Six Nations? Well, it, it shouldn't be, no. But going back to Sotti's point, there's, there's no evidence at the moment that even with CVC's involvement in the sport, and, and you know, they're supposed to be the great marketeers, that I don't know quite what the timing was, but was... Was that F1 documentary while CBC were were involved with F1? If if it doesn't if it didn't overlap, then I suspect that the idea of of marketing that sport and selling it um, had become ingrained while while CBC were there. And then, you know, I don't I'm not saying that they're, they're the great saviors of rugby, but they are involved in the Premiership to to promote its commercial value. And the, I just thought that NFL experiment yesterday was was fascinating because they did exactly what you say, Al. They had kids, uh, actors and presenters and ca- and cartoon characters all meshed in the coverage. Uh, the commentary was done on, on a level to engage new kids. They had child um, characters explaining what, what the penalties are in, in terms they'd understand and really opening their eyes. Whereas, you know, we've got a sport that this can be pretty complicated at times and, and even those who've watched it forever don't understand quite how some penalties are given. So so it's a, it's a fascinating area. Um, and I guess I guess one, one to watch and, and see who... Or where the first sort of developments come from in, in in the global game to try and embrace that. You just think around rugby now. Who is the man or the woman who we think could do that and introduce some of the concepts that uh, Aldermick's been talking about? I can't think of a single person. Billy Beaumont, Bernard Laporte. You can't see him as the bad guy. You just need the good guy on the on the other side, and uh, and you've got a rivalry there. Jez, we should sign off with our weekly feature goal of the week. Oh well, I mean, they, they fell foul of the law. They saw a red card, and their head coach said that they are going to be uh, implied that they're going to be severely punished. But Josiah Rasuke, um, who plays for, who won the wing for Nevers. If anyone's seen the clip from the Pro D to uh, in France at the weekend, Nevers managed to cling on to beat Bezier with the last play of the game. The referee blew the final whistle. And Josiah Rasuke was so excited. And I'm sorry if I butchered his name there. Was so He could not contain his excitement. He picked up referee Laurent uh, Miot and lifted him above his head in a scene reminiscent of the Lion King. Um, you know, should we be putting hands on referees? Absolutely not. I don't condone that in any way. However, it was very funny. And I think it's, I think it's just worth, if not making them a god of the week, at least noting that that is an interesting little wrinkle to a game of the weekend. All right. I think occasionally you have to uh, pay respect to what's under your nose. 
And uh, I think one of one of the brilliant characters of the Premiership at the moment, and someone who's brought great rugby to it, is Pat Lamb of Bristol. And we saw that on the, on Saturday. We, the, uh, I, I love the intent that he sends his his team out to to play. I love the fact that he's such a great uh, representative of his club and the sport. I, lo- I love the the fact that he can talk so intelligently about it. He just re- represents so much that's that's good about our game. We should have been talking about it just now. And uh, and um, he pulled off his team pulled off one of the great victories at the weekend. So uh, so God of the Week um, is my my God of the Week is Pat Lamb of Bristol. Pat Lamb has been a hero of mine since he was one of the few to stick with Samoa and not and not take the money to go to New Zealand and. You know that's always going. He's always going to be a contender for me, and uh, I'm sure I'll come back to Pat. But th- this week um, we're talking about individual players standing out, shining out, marketing the game. Paolo Adobu for me on uh, Friday took off like a like a greyhound every time he got the ball. He was speculative. He was brilliant. Spoke well afterwards, and I think that's the sort of guy that we could be talking about to, to, to get the market into the game off its backside. So for the way he played and what he represents, Paolo Adobo is my God of the Week. I think that's a very fine suggestion. Mine was going to be Gary Graham for a great bid and a, and a great performance. But if I had to have the casting vote, I think I'd back Steve, given all we've talked about enjoyment, character it should sum up what we want rugby to be so i think the award would go to him this week ladies and gents thank you very much for joining us this has been the ruck your podcast from the times the sunday times please subscribe please comment and my thanks go to al to owen and to steve jones planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.